Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And I don't know about you, but I'm still having trouble getting back up to speed this year. Maybe it's just because I seem to keep getting older each week. Uh, Maybe that's happening to you too, huh? (laughs) But uh, my energy level just isn't what I'd like it to be. But fortunately, I'm retired and uh, don't have to fight my way to a cubicle each day like uh, many of our fellow saloners do. So even though I'd like to take another day off and just read, I'm uh, instead going to press on here and uh, see if I can get back up to speed and do a few more podcasts than I've been doing so far this year. But uh, anyhow, thanks for sticking around, and I'll do my best to uh, keep these little bits of brain candy coming your way, uh, hopefully more frequently. So today I'm going to pick back up on the Palenque Norte lectures that uh, were held at last year's Burning Man Festival. So far, I've podcast seven of the talks, and there are still about that many left for us to hear, uh, at least depending on which of the speakers uh, give me an okay to podcast their talks. Now, the last of these talks that we heard was given by Daniel Pinchbeck, and you can find that in my podcast number 336. And in case I forget to mention it, uh, the video of these uh, talks is also available in the event that you would like to take a look at the environment in which they were given. For example, Daniel's talk began at 3 p.m. on the Wednesday of the Burn Week, and the one we're about to hear right now followed at 4 p.m. And what you can hear, uh, if you listen closely to both talks, is that as the day gets a little later, the sound of drums and other activities on the playa begins to build. Now, if you've never been to Burning Man, well, then these background sounds may be a little bit irritating to you. However, if you're a burner or other festival goer, Well, then uh, these sounds bring you back uh, to those more carefree days at the festival when you could be as crazy and free as you felt like, uh, and yet, uh, most likely, not even uh, be far enough out of the box to get noticed. For me, I never truly knew what unbridled freedom was like until I went to my first burn. And if I'm not mistaken, this was the first time our featured speakers made it to Black Rock City themselves, as you'll hear uh, John make a few happy comments about Burning Man. Now, John, who is going to be our featured speaker today, is the celebrated John Allen, who has led an incredibly fascinating life. How many other people do you know who, at the age of 83, are still doing new things, like going to Burning Man for the first time? I'm not uh, really sure how to introduce John and his partner, Tango. On the Burning Man program, they were listed as John Allen and Tango Parrish Snyder, speaking about visions and biospheres. Now, if you go to Wikipedia, you'll learn a lot about John's professional life, including the founding of Synergia Ranch and Community, and as the founder of Biosphere 2, which, if you were following the news in the early 1990s, well, you couldn't have missed hearing about it. And I won't go into any more details here because John will be talking about it in just a few minutes. And, uh, of course, I'll post links to more information about John, Tango, uh, their books, and their work in the program notes for this podcast, which, as you know, you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. But rather than have me simply recite a list of their accomplishments, instead, uh, I want to just pass along a few personal comments instead. 
I've only been together uh, with John and Tango on a few occasions, and I think most of them were at the home of Captain Rio, who was the skipper of the boat in the Amazon that Dennis McKenna wrote about in his new book, The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss. Uh, and that was on the expedition on which uh, Terence and Wade Davis got uh, kind of crossways with one another. But uh, that's another story. And now that I think of it, I believe that actually it was John Allen's boat that they were on that uh, Rio was uh, skippering at the time. Uh, I might be mistaken about that, but uh, you can read Dennis's book and uh, get all the details. Anyway, uh, at some point after Biosphere 2, the live-in experiments ended, and some of the people involved in that project bought a large home together in Southern California. And that's where I met John and Tango uh, at a few of the gatherings that were held there. Now, here's my point in telling this long story. John and Tango have been through it all. Uh, They've not only been around the world on numerous occasions, but they've spent a lot of time uh, hanging around with some of the most interesting people I know of. And yet, even though I hadn't published my first book and was basically a newcomer to the tribe, nonetheless, each time we met, they remembered my name and some of the things that we last talked about. In other words, they are two people who you would love to have over for a long conversation one evening because they've most likely been somewhere that you'd like to go or they've done something you'd like to do and, well, they'll treat you like a lifelong friend even though you've just met. But enough of me. Let's now join Tango and John in the hot and dusty crystal cave at the 2012 Burning Man Festival. Hi, everyone. Thanks for hanging out. So, um... For our next talk, we have the great pleasure of having John Allen and Tango Parrish-Snyder here with us. Um, John is the creator of the Biosphere 2 project, this fascinating um, self-contained ecological environment. Um, And he'll talk to you a little more about that. And Tango is the publisher of Synergetic Press, and I believe she's currently working on a Albert Hoffman biography, yes? Awesome. So um, it's a great pleasure to have them here with us today, and thank you all for coming. Hi. So how many of you know a little bit about, I'm just going to take a few moments before John starts to speak, just to give you a little bit of a, a background about my experience working with publishing books on the biosphere. Back in 1983, I was commissioned to publish a book called The Biosphere Catalog. I don't believe that in those days, biosphere was a household term. I remember having to spell it on the telephone every time I said it. And I remember, this is a 1984 edition of the Biosphere Catalog, the first approach to the study of the Earth's biosphere. What do you study in the Earth's biosphere? First of all, I didn't even know what a biosphere was myself. So John, the scientific editor, gave me an outline The outline included biomes, atmosphere, hydrosphere, geosphere, microbes, soils, plants, animals, evolution, cultures, commodity production, cities, energy, transportation, communication, space biospheres, cosmic particles in Earth's radioactivity, genetics and cloning, analytics, biospheric organizations, tours, travels, and adventures, information, and an appendix. This is all before the Internet. This is way before the Internet. And I had to find somebody that was a key person in each of those areas to write about that subject matter and to give us an introduction to what the role was of that area in the biosphere. How did it support the biosphere? So when I called the bookstores after publishing this, they all asked me where should they put it. 
in the gardening section. Well, I then went on, and meanwhile, Biosphere 2 was being in its, in its fertilization mode. It was being designed in its early stages. In 1984, it began. And uh, I came across a man who was a Russian that I was introduced to, also by John, called Vernosky, Vladimir Vernosky, who wrote the first theory of the biosphere in 1929. And I published the first English translation of that in its very abridged form called The Biosphere. And uh, I went on to learn more about the Russian legacy. I uh, then became involved in Biosphere 2 project, which was the largest laboratory for global ecology ever built. And many of you, how many people have heard about Biosphere 2? Wow, good. There's only a few young people here today. Um, it's still there in Arizona. It really was a landmark experiment in self-sustainability and uh, uh, human life support with the uh, endeavor to both uh, develop tools for, first of all, to test the Vernosky hypothesis that there is a self-supporting evolutionary system, a uh, living system on the planet Earth called a biosphere, and including all of those levels. So uh, we went on to that for that endeavor in about, for about 10 years and published a number of different books on biospherics. And uh, that leads me to John being one of the pioneers of biosphere science. After Vernosky, there was also a gentleman called Claire Folsom who built the first small one-liter closed systems in uh, Hawaii, and he was involved with the project. We worked with uh, about 250 scientists from around the world to create this incredible experiment. And uh, uh, obviously there will be more. You can learn more about all that. I won't go into all that right now. I'd like John to share some of his, uh, some of his experiences and all of his uh, visions of uh, what led him to conceive of such an, a bold experiment. I have recently published the uh, unabridged version of the Vernosky theory of the biosphere, which was uh, quite a large work that he uh, worked on up until his death in 1944. And uh, so working with the Russians was an incredible experience. They're uh, a great uh, adventurous group of scientists and, and explorers in the world of biospherics and Vernosky's legacy continues uh, to, uh, to be developed today. And John has many, many, many other worlds to take us through today, and thank you. Uh, all right. Biosphere. Biosphere. Bios biosphere. Ah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, there's four words that help understand the biosphere. That's huge, dynamic, evolving, and old. The biosphere is at once old and forever new. It's uh, four over four billion years old. Uh, it's perhaps even older than Earth because we have a 15 billion year universe. So there would be other suns and planets that could have had a five billion year head start on Earth. Now, the other thing is, uh, that's the old. Now, it's also evolving. For example, the biosphere started out with the non-nucleated bacteria. 
bacteria didn't even have a nucleus. Then it built a second kingdom, uh, a nucleated bacteria. That took about two billion years. Then came animals, plants, and fungi, all more or less at once. And the fungi clean up the mess that's left behind by the animals and the plants and recycle it. And the sixth kingdom came only about 40,000 years ago. That's us, thinking humans. Uh, physiologically, humans may have arrived 200,000 years ago. But the first sign of actual intelligence carrying out a uh, project is 40,000 years ago in the great cave paintings. So, uh, yes, it's old. Now, it's also evolving. <laughs> it's one thing. Like human beings, we get old, but generally we start deteriorating. But the biosphere, in fact, the older it gets so far, the more ingenious it becomes, the more uh, strange new evolutionary occurrences. So this evolving is not just that there's involved uh, the two bacterias, the plants, animals, and fungi, and humans, but it keeps involving new kinds of humans, new kinds of plants, new kinds of fungi. Uh, for example, in the humans, now when I first studied uh, anthropology, which was a long time ago, they uh, had basically Neanderthal and one or two other people. Now we've discovered maybe seven proto-species of uh, our present species, the Homo sapiens sapiens. Probably should have been Homo foolish foolish <laughs> instead of wise wise. So this evolution still continues. For example, uh, let me throw out a couple of heretical things. How many races are there on the planet Earth? Uh, are, there, are, there other, are there more than one species of hominid? There are many people uh, who think there are, who think they've actually seen uh, such uh, events. Uh, this by no means uh, is um, accepted, but it's certainly in the sphere of possibilities. The evolutionary uh, genetic mutations and so forth have not stopped. It's rather foolish to think that uh, we represent the final ultimate thing that evolution could do on planet Earth. And many people think that we're already uh, out-evolved. Then it's dynamic. Now, the biosphere, people always say, oh, well, that's plants and animals. That's not dynamic like an automobile. In fact, an automobile is not dynamic like a plant and an animal. <laughs> Maybe you get a new model Ford or a new model Chevrolet, but you don't get suddenly a whole new species. So it's extremely dynamic. The changes can take place rapidly. A small change in rainfall in a whole district becomes a desert. There was a rainforest. In rain, it comes. A rainforest can appear with this huge... Uh, uh, dynamic. So huge is the fourth one. Uh, the biosphere is so huge that uh, nobody has mapped it. it, it or there's unknown uh, species. Well, bacteria, for example, are well known to be unknown. 
And furthermore, there's new species that come, come into being by evolution. There's huge arguments once you get into um, real experts uh, that is actually know their feel. Uh, is speciation started with some of the tiger subspecies or not? The species itself is sort of a uh, buzzword. Uh, so the biosphere is very old, it's evolving, it's dynamic, and it's huge. Now it's old and forever new. That's an interesting contrast. And the biosphere is perhaps older than Earth. For example, if the biosphere came here from some exploded sun, which is quite possible, because there was 10 billion years of the universe before this one started. Now, on the evolving, uh, the evolutionary process is uh, very deep on planet Earth. To start off with, the geosphere. Now, for the geosphere, that is the actual sphere of planet Earth, took quite a, quite a few million years. Uh, it had to incorporate uh, all sorts of asteroids, comets, and so forth and so forth. Uh, it's still evolving, the geosphere. We get 100,000 tons a year of uh, stardust and comets coming in. Uh, that's very rich stuff. And it uh, comes in all the time. Now, the biosphere, there have been a number of biospheres. The first biosphere was prokaryotic. That means nuclear, uh, no nucleus-aided cell. They made a biosphere. And if you fa figure out how fast they breed, they could, in 24 hours, if they bred in a straight line, go all the way around the equator. So there was a prokaryotic biosphere. That prepared the ground for the eukaryotic. That is to say, uh, cells with an actual nucleus. Then plants, animals, and fungi came more or less at the same time. You see, the fungi had to come for the plants and animals to work. Otherwise, who would eat up the corpses and the dead? And then the humans came. Or you might say that uh, geosphere to biosphere to an ethnosphere. That is, humans have never developed a human culture. We've, uh, humans have developed uh, several hundred, maybe several thousand cultures on the planet Earth where you reproduce by meme units of behavior rather than by gene uh, units of uh, genetics. Now, after the ethnosphere, one particular group in particular invented the next phase, which is the technosphere. That was fundamentally invented in Western Europe. The idea that uh, your techniques uh, could go all the way around and the Europeans invented, uh, more or less at the same time, uh, the sail and the cannon. So you could sail almost anywhere, and the cannon could put you in on top anywhere you went. So they produced an ethnosphere. That is, wherever you went in the, in the world, you could find some European empire. Uh, they spoke to each other. They may have fought each other, but basically, if you would follow the French and the British and the Spanish Empire and Portuguese, you would go anywhere in the world. Well, I had Russian. Then there was the creation of the noosphere. That was discovered by Vernadsky, the guy who also created uh, field chemistry and biospherics. And the noosphere is a sphere of intelligence. That is to say, 
if we look at the highly intelligent people in positions that control a lot of money and power and thought, uh, that is, in other words, uh, people work out, say, a scientific program for five years, or they work out an artistic program. So that, that is the noosphere. And then there's a cybersphere. A cybersphere is a human body under modern conditions. Cyber means feedback. And now it is set up where the human body can basically be a total feedback engine itself. This is due to several very interesting inventions, the most interesting one being the um, surgic acid 25. Uh, that gets you very close to being a... Um, permanent uh, feedback to whatever uh, boom boom is happening. Now of course it doesn't mean your feedback would necessarily be very intelligent to start with but if you're on a learning curve you're certainly getting the feedback quick and there's a number of other ways you can get rapid feedback. For example um, you could set up camp in the middle of the fucking desert in the middle of fucking Nevada <laughs> and you got to put things together and live here that generates intelligence uh, intelligence Gen is generate, tell is value, and in. So it means putting value, generating values in a given situation is intelligence. Okay, uh, so that's the evolving side, the, the old side. Now it's a dynamic side. Uh, what what uh, we geologists call the biosphere is the rock eater. The food that we all have comes from the biosphere having eaten up rocks. And then that rocks is, for example, a fungi on a rock. So that gradually goes away, and then that's digested and upgraded by various ones of the six uh, kingdoms of life. Uh, but he's rock eaters. So you get, the, you get the speciation. Now, uh, there's uh, thousands and thousands of species on the planet Earth. Each one of these is a specialist at extracting a living from some part of the geobiosphere. Uh, tool makers. Now, that's really interesting, making tools. So suddenly, uh, life has a, uh, an extension. Uh, they have an, an, a non-organic extension that a human being can make. Then, they uh, are corporations. Uh, corporations were invented by the British, naturally. Nearly everything was invented by the British. And that meant that uh, you had limited liability. If you put an investment in and you went in with people, you would only lose what you put in. You wouldn't lose everything. Your house and property wouldn't be taken away. And you could unite. This was done with a very interesting drug, coffee. <laughs> Coffee went into England, and around these coffee houses, they got so high, they said, oh, let's try insurance, called Lloyd's Coffee House. And Lloyd's Insurance is, is, still, is still there. Uh, okay, then there's war makers. Now, the military, <laughs> I guess some of you have been in the military. Uh, the military, uh, I was, I drafted in, Korean War. Now, the military... Uh, has very interesting aspects on uh, dealing with the biosphere and the planet Earth. Uh, by association, one of my favorite things was, how do you survive a tank that's coming at you? <laughs> uh, so, you, anyway, so war has all these um, effects. Now, war can be actual physical war or it can be economic war. 
the, the big economic war that put tremendous ex, uh, on scientific improvement of planet Earth was the war between communism and capitalism. And the Russian inventions went like this, and the American inventions went like that. Now, huge. There's a trillion living tons of matter. And there's upgrades. As matter dies, it's upgraded to more concentrated energy, like coal, oil, gas, soils, corals, uh, different kinds of special, special rocks that are made only uh, by humans. There's the carbonates, coal, oil, and gas. All of that is the fossils of life. Uh, then there's the technosphere. The technosphere is everything that's, uh, that's technical. Techni, by the way, was the first of the seven muses. If you have to have techni, even if you're the muse of dance or the muse of theater, everywhere, all the other muses have to have technique. They have to have techni. Okay. Uh, at this point, I would like to read uh, Vernadsky, a forbidden writer in the United States, practically. But in fact, biosphere is practically a forbidden subject. You can see why no capitalist system would like to study the biosphere. <laughs> People might know. But what they study is an ecosystem. Now, for example, say instead of studying your body, you studied under your fingernail, you could study an ecosystem. So an ecosystem means that it is verboten to study the biosphere under the present capitalist empire. The intellectuals, the PhDs, the old joke piled higher and deeper, go off and study an ecosystem. An ecosystem could be under my fingernail, it could be the end of a block in San Diego. It's not an objective, uh, long-lasting entity. Okay, I'm going to take just a little bit so you get a taste of a Russian thinker on the vegetable kingdom. Now remember the vegetables, plants, and animals, uh, and fungi all came and said that. Okay, here's Vernadsky. Considering the enormous potentialities for propagation inherent in living matter, the actual mass of it in the biosphere does not seem so very great. The whole mass is connected with the vegetable kingdom, which alone can catch the radiant energy of the sun. Green vegetable matter does not predominate from the point of view of actual mass, though a consideration from the point of view of dry land alone might make one think so. It is generally admitted in the ocean animal life predominates. The structure of the mass of vegetable matter, the transformer of solar energy, is very different on land from what is in the sea. On land, the most vigorously multiplying types, such as grass, show a fairly high order of structural complexity. But in the ocean, the most prolific types are the extremely rudimentary and minute floating green cells, whose speed of transmission of life is hundreds of times greater than that of grass. In spite of the existence of large sea woods, the tiny floating cells do practically all the work of transforming the radiant energy of the sun into other forms. This is because seaweed is found only near the shore and in isolated deposits, while the entire ocean is covered with a layer of minute green cells. Moreover, on account of the preponderance of ocean over dry land on our planet, these tiny cells assume the position of the principal transformers of solar energy for the whole world. 
Uh, let's go into uh, time a little bit. So life is here for four billion years. I started off with these one cells. Now one cell generally lives for like minutes at the most. So for four billion years plus, the basic life, the non-nucleated cell, has been reproducing every few minutes. This gives you a lot of evolutionary time. Now, this is practically never studied, as far as I see, in people who talk about the environment. First place, you should never talk about the environment. You should talk about the biosphere. Because environment means what's around you, and what's around human beings is the biosphere. There's an actual name for it. It's not a, a weasel word like environment. Now, the prokaryotes gave way to the eukaryotes. That is to say, a cell that actually had a, a, a center, a nucleus. These two really colonized the planet for life. Then this incredible invention that came along that animals, plants, and fungi, three kingdoms more or less at once came in that were multicellular. Now the animal kingdom managed to make it all the way around the planet Earth. The great whales, to the Antarctic uh, seals, penguins, etc. Uh, amazing, uh, amazing. So, what did humans add to that? In the first place, we're very recent. So, a full-fledged human society is only about forty thousand years old. That's the first cave painting where you see the guy. They paint the guy lying down, the shaman, and he has all the animals around him. So we know that that was an advanced human that painted that because he's painting a very complex social structure. Now, how long that social structure was in existence before it first got painted, it could have been another 60,000 years. It could have been 30,000. And it could have been a very short time because the rate of invention on anything new is always more or less at the max. Okay, so then there was a huge struggle for power, which hominids were going to become humans <laughs> and also which ones actually did there's a considerable discussion about that matter for example uh, most people now study like Neanderthal alright there's Cro-Magnon there's Neanderthal and then there's modern humans modern humans aren't either Cro-Magnon or Neanderthal then there's uh, species before that uh, here, here's a verboten topic for discussion. How many, how many uh, human species are there on the planet now? <laughs> That's verboten. Forbidden. It's interesting. Uh, you know, everybody wants to study all the things that they're supposed to study. But think of all the things that you're forbidden to study. And uh, number one, it takes a certain amount of work to see that this is a subject that is forbidden to study. <laughs> number two... Obviously, it was forbidden to study because somebody in power didn't like it. <laughs> Called censorship, usually. Um, now, uh, Lucy, and you remember Lucy was named by this great archaeologist who, uh, for Lucy in the Sky Diamonds. You needed to have very alert senses to find the little bone down there in the middle of Africa and say, oh yeah, that's a human bone. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you don't just go along and say, oh yeah, that's a human bone down there, just a little sliver. <laughs> Generally, it's buried, and you have to use something like acetone. At, that's what ruined me in archaeology. I could never get the acetone and being that careful with it, so I stayed in culturology. <laughs> just enough to, I just stayed long enough in it to admire archaeology. But it's very tricky. Now, nobody knows how many of these uh, proto-species or whether any of them were superior to us, and they disappeared because they were too superior. <laughs> As Hamlet said, you know, you can think too much. The pale cast of thought sicklies o'er the ruddy complexion. Uh, so the smartest humans may have uh, disappeared. And in fact, exactly uh, what humans are is a very interesting uh, question. And how long we've been here. And is this the end or is there a possible evolution beyond that? Uh, in effect, if you look at the high-tech stuff, also let's take Burning Man, for example. Uh, now this is, what I love about Burning Man is it's uh, super high-tech and it looks like it's just uh, <laughs> a country party. <laughs> but any of you know anything about military logistics or anything can see that this is extremely sophisticated engineering. <laughs> why we can survive out here in the desert. Now, there's all sorts of other very sophisticated, uh, it means worldly-wise sophisticated, several other worldly-wise methods of adapting to here and there. So it could be, some people have said, well, maybe physical evolution of humans is over, but uh, not their technological evolution. In other words, if you've got a, had permanent evolution, in terms of something that you could walk around with or uh, just altered brain cells. Oh, well, yeah, please, I want eight more IQ points. Oh, yeah, oh, in that region there. Now, another interesting thing is who actually uses advanced medicine? Now, if you read American propaganda in the newspapers, it's generally somebody who's suffering and uh, they're saved at the last minute by some gigantic new device of medicine. They never have a story about anybody who is perfectly healthy using advanced medicine to become smarter. Well, of course, here, obviously, a lot of people use medicine to become smarter, like LSD or ecstasy or something. And there are other ways to become smarter. That is, by actual measurement. There are other ways to become uh, more empathic. That is, not only can we increase our thinking brain capacity, but we can increase the emotional capacity. There's new, these are separate brains inside. A thinking brain generally is only at the associative level. There's the emotional brain. There's the uh, sensual brain. A real knockout punch is to the belly. Boom. <laughs> there. Because your entire uh, uh, moving center gets paralyzed. <laughs> then there's the moving center. Now, the moving center is interesting. That operates really off the basis of the spine. That's why in the army or places like that, they say, get your fucking ass in gear. <laughs> you, get down to, you get down to the spine. So you off, off that spine. You do all kinds of things. Because that controls the movement. Then there's sex center. 
And uh, sucks into it's like creative energy. So it may or not be it may or may not be used in what most people ordinarily call sexual. It could be used in any kind of creative endeavor. So uh, these humans, us humans, uh, this invention of different languages, it's really quite something. There's hundreds of different languages. Now, <laughs> which languages do you learn? Well, some people say, oh, well, I link English and Chinese, or English and French, or sometimes people three or four languages. But there's hundreds of languages. And furthermore, there's languages which are not recognized by anthropologists. That is, languages within a profession. Uh, Joe says to Jack, hey, man, that's cool. Well, it depends on who Jack is and who Joe is, what cool means. <laughs> At least seven different levels. <laughs> You're, quote, in when you understand which of the seven levels somebody is referring to with the slang. <laughs> and it's impenetrable, obviously, to the uh, fucking bourgeois. I mean, did I say that to the bourgeois? I mean, to the middle class. I mean, to the <laughs> people think money is the end all and be all. <laughs> Now, all of knowledge is basically verboten. All of knowledge is basically forbidden. Now, you can get special knowledge. For example, I had special knowledge at one point about the uranium industry. But uh, you had to sign a secret deal. Do, 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 do. Uh, there's all kinds of things like that uh, that exist today. And in fact, it's very hard, very hard to tell whether anybody you're talking to, uh, I, I go back when people still spoke English, it's very hard to know your ass from a hole in the ground. You get into complex situations at night. Night means subconscious. But you get in situations that are very difficult for your subconscious. It's extremely difficult to apply categories that were made for the conscious mind. Now, according to people like Mr. Freud and Mr. Reich, the subconscious is at least 90%, and the conscious is just a tiny little island on top of that. So we could say that uh, we're in a very desperate situation, we humans. And I don't mean a collective human. I mean we as individual humans are in very desperate straits to understand anything that's going on. We don't live very long. We don't spend very much of that time thinking. We don't spend very much of that time actually pure emotion. We don't spend very much of that time in actually pure instinct, you know, that is actually feeling, smelling, posture, all of that stuff. And we certainly don't spend very much time in all of the various sensations. For example, if you're a good American, you've been told that there are five senses. Now, the, the standard of American education is that I've never heard anybody publicly refute that in the United States. Occasionally, in esoteric writing, you'll say, oh, Daniel Boone really survived. You know what? He had a sixth sense. That's 13 altogether, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it can be identified. And, uh, so, 
So ignorance is always a good place to start from. I notice today in uh, America, people want to start off with what they know. Oh, what do you know about that? Oh, you, want, you know that. You got a degree in that. You passed in that. Well, tell me what you know. It's uh, the cultural uh, deal that you never ask somebody what they don't know. <laughs> That's insulting because everybody is supposed to know. So you see, you, how do you know an American? Well, because they know so much. <laughs> they think they know so much. <laughs> they feel they know so much. They're conditioned to say they know so much. Actually, all of us are in a field of gigantic ignorance. Socrates maintained that that was the beginning of wisdom, was to realize that I'm ignorant. Now, if I'm ignorant, I only have one way direction to go. That's to learn something or not. (laughs) And then what's to learn? Well, what I was taught was, fortunately, my family were old pioneer family, was you should start thinking when you're in something so fucking difficult that your automatically trained moving center can't solve it. <laughs> if I can handle it anyway, <laughs> instinctively, I, then, I, then I know it. That is, it knows it. And if it knows that much, generally I get interested in it. Now, the biggest ignorance is biosphere. Biosphere is systematically destroyed in the United States. Like Biosphere 2, for example. It was actually shut down by a SWAT squad. You, know, you never read why it was shut down. That's because I had to sign a fucking piece of paper. But why it was shut down was a SWAT squad landed in. The SWAT squad, that's you know, to wipe out drug dealers. And then the biosphere uh, it was eliminated as a subject of thought, environment. And what was substituted for the titillation of the intellectual masses was global warming. Well, what is warming, number one? The biosphere. If it is. (laughs) If you're a geologist, you can go back and see that, in fact, there's been global warmings before that were real global warmings. All the ice melted. All of it. So nobody's predicting that yet. So all those things depend on what you mean. But what global warming did do was it made the American intelligentsia line up about global warming. I would say step one, you know, would really be understand that we live in a biosphere, that this biosphere is extremely big. It's had over four billion years to develop an intelligence. And instead of keeping to try inflicting new kinds of techniques on it, why not learn some real techniques? I call it echo techniques the techniques by which the biosphere produces this incredible nesting of ecosystems that work together to increase free energy rather than cutting free energy down. Okay. This is from John's memoir, Me and the Biospheres, his My Dream. Uh, So this this ended this book, uh, Me and the Biosphere. My Dream, 20 years from now, every country will have their own biosphere. Each biosphere will reflect the biomes in that country. For example, China would have a rainforest based on Yunnan, a coral reef from the China Sea, grasslands from the north, deserts from Mongolia, a marsh from the coast, 
and agriculture from each of its various farmlands, and a human habitat representing the ultimate Shanghai or Beijing communication technical theater cuisine research layout. The same would be true for Great Britain, France, Russia, United States, Australia, Brazil, and all the others. These biospheres would be open to public view, their scientific papers available to all. Those who manage the biosphere and those working in its supporting research centers will form a school producing practical graduates who understand the biosphere. They constitute a cadre to work with end governments, corporations, nonprofit organizations, and popular movements to ensure that human progress makes a synergy with Earth's biosphere. Some of these graduates will become members of the core groups working to understand possibilities for biospheres in Mars, Moon, and in space. This work will contribute immensely to understanding the glorious uniqueness of our planet Earth, at least in this solar system. These biospheres will demonstrate the ways the technosphere and ethnosphere work together with biosphere. From that comprehensive knowledge, a noosphere, a sphere of intelligence that unifies arts, science, and humanity, will emerge on planet Earth. These biospheres will be open to all, not special preserves for elites to create new bureaucracies. Farms, parks, cities, universities, and wilderness reserves will reframe their ways to cooperate with, cooperate with and enhance our home, Earth's biosphere, with a new vision of a beneficial and profitable technosphere. They will act as cooperative agents of emergent evolution with a new understanding of ethnosphere, create a co-evolving system of cultures that upgrade their soils, flora, fauna, and human senses and imagination. Jenny, thank you very much. Um, before you go, would you like to um, take a few questions just so you know, this is actually John's science fiction novel. It takes place 15,000 years in the future, 15,000 light years away, uh, far, far away. Oh, yeah. Didn't get to that. Um, John's going to take a cup. Yeah, he'll take a, a few questions. And also, uh, just so you know, there are some cards up here. Uh, John's giving a talk also over at Daniel's camp on Friday on the ethnosphere, the sphere of cultures around the planet. There's cards up here and also his books and publications. Help yourself to that. Johnny, would you take a few questions? Do you believe in collective consciousness, that the subconscious knows everything? Do you believe in collective consciousness? Uh, I believe in the collective unconscious, yeah. <laughs> I was very interested in your comment about LSD-25 somehow being part of this um, development of this kind of cybernetic uh, feedback loop mechanism, but I wasn't sure that I totally understood it. Can you uh, just explain a little deeper how, how you see the importance of LSD you know, in, 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 in you know, this human evolution process? Uh, Albert and I were pretty good friends. I wrote it one time, I, we're doing this corporate stuff and we're really in a mess, it's your ecology and so forth and so forth. Uh, what do you suggest, Albert? Special delivery, seven sugar cubes, 200 mics apiece, and we solved that problem. <laughs> uh, it's like any other advanced piece of technology. You know, if you use it, what it's designed for, it's the best in the field, I think. Follow the ingredients of ayahuasca, are, there's a number of close competitors, <laughs> let's say. But uh, LSD is, uh, is modern chemistry. So, it, so you just get it direct. To actually make ayahuasca, you have to work really hard at it. It doesn't just uh, appear. I think, uh, I think every, uh, every consciousness-changing substance was developed by some intelligent group of people. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to travel to practically all of those groups. And... Uh, Boy, the difference between um, 
the shaman or whoever it is that knows how to utilize that in other people is uh, noticeable. <laughs> Let's say Burning Man is noticeable, for example. <laughs> and, and I really like, uh, like this because uh, I think somewhere we have to recover the tribe. The tribe was the most uh, intelligent human invention that was ever made. And the tribe is composed of at least two clans. So the tribe is not so simple. Clans were the first invention. And then uh, the tribes were made as clan. Now this is going to be very interesting, like uh, for us people in the so-called modern conditions, because the old clans were based on uh, blood, genes. And the new clans have to be based on memes. So your, your DNA would have to be like a uh, installed DNA, a, gi a given uh, thought system. Um, do you mean that you can create this through meditation, uh, evolution of DNA? Evolution of DNA through meditation, possible? Uh, well, you see, there's uh, three stages, concentration, meditation, and contemplation. And we need more of all three of them. Okay, are there any other questions? So since you believe that there's a collective unconscious, do you, th do you believe that you can have unrestricted access to it? Uh, do you think that there is unrestricted access to the collective unconscious? That what? Unrestricted access to the collective unconscious uh, with intention. I think the, uh, it depends uh, on your culture. So the, the collective unconscious, for example, of a uh, Lakota Indian is different than the collective conscious, uh, consciousness of a uh, French culture. But I think, yeah, you can contact that. Any, any good shaman does that. What if you have many teachers, then would you have access to more collective unconsciousnesses? Well, uh, there's seven different levels of consciousness that's been identified in uh, long-lasting traditions. And, of course, each of those levels uh, has, you might say, sub-levels. So... Um, one of, the big, one of the big things that screws Americans up and a lot of Europeans is uh, they say, are you conscious or unconscious? Nearly everything is made into a dyad. So more complex systems, which have three independent units, four, five, six, or seven, are almost untouchable by uh, somebody who's really addicted to the either-or mode. Although either-or is certainly better than this is this. I was just wondering if you felt comfortable telling us about how the SWAT team stopped your studies in more detail. Biosphere 2 was built as a cooperation of USSR and USA Science, with some help from the British Royal Society. Uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed, the American ruling class figured that that meant that they had carte blanche to run the world. Uh, Biosphere 2 was built, uh, I had a group of scientists that included the, the Soviets, the Americans, the French, the British, and uh, some tribal groups. So what that meant was that those rulers of the American capitalist class who find it inconvenient to acknowledge that there's a biosphere used the fall of Russia to uh, eliminate everything they could around the planet that had to do with biospheric study.
and eliminate a lot of other things too. Had the Russian, had the Russian Empire continued as the American Empire continued, uh, we had a lot of talks about this. That very probably the American Empire would not allow Biosphere 2 to last very long. So we, would, we had it all worked out to put it in uh, Georgia, the Republic of Georgia in the Soviet Union. But the Soviet Union collapsed. As the Soviet Union collapsed, the American right wing took that as the belief that this showed the superiority of American culture go all the way. We don't need any deviance, anything else. We just move straight ahead. Opposition is gone. Now, biosphere is uh, not something that if you were a full, hardcore capitalist that you could be very interested in because it would be all sorts of things you couldn't do. There would be all sorts of things you could do. But a lot of things, openly polluting stuff, obviously you couldn't do or, or even wouldn't do if you had a biospheric education. So behind that was not just uh, Biosphere 2, it was the entire uh, change of policy that occurred in the United States when the Soviet Union collapsed. This is hardly ever dealt with. Uh, the Soviet Union was so balanced that either everything they did was critiqued by the United States and everything we did was critiqued by them. So when they collapsed, there were no more critiques left external to the United States. And they took full advantage of that to eliminate any critiques inside. Now, a biospheric approach is, if you look in practical terms, is a critique of capitalist economy. If life becomes your number one goal, then capital can't be. That doesn't mean you're against capital. I'm a semi-capitalist myself, but a capitalist within you know, some kind of useful limits. And... Uh, so that was part, that was part of the, uh, this total crackdown. It was led by Columbia University. Now, since some of you actually seem to be interested in esoteric America, <laughs> an Ivy League like, like Harvard or whatever will hardly do, take directly the orders from the Pentagon. Columbia University will. Now, you say, where's the evidence of that? The submarine that picked up uh, the Soviet submarines that sank was Columbia University submarine. They did a lot, of, a lot of stuff that required a university in the Cold War was done by Columbia University. Columbia University was the one selected to take over and destroy the biosphere part of Biosphere 2. And the same guy that did that was sent down there from Harvard, an economist. He's also the guy that gave the advice to the Russians who practically destroyed Russia. Namely, he said, okay, you're going to capitalism. They said, how can we do that? How can we do that? You're advanced America. Oh, you're from Harvard, blah, 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 blah. He said, give a share to every worker. That's how they get all these Russian billionaires, because the worker gets this little share, right? It means nothing. So they picked up all these little shares, and then you had the new class of Russian billionaires suddenly emerge like that, boom, which suited United States policy perfectly. Okay, there's one more question, John. Uh, John, you talked about uh, the importance of the biosphere and that that would really be the place to start to understand an intelligent understanding of what is going on. Where would you have some individual who wanted to pursue well, that intelligence uh, begin? Well, always, it's always biosphere one. That's the one we're in. <laughs> so actually, 
I would say study the data from Biosphere 2, study Vernadsky, and start applying that to this biosphere. Now, I think we do need another model, and uh, if, if things work out, we'll because you can study things with a model, you can't study with reality. But for example, practice uh, looking at planet Earth as a biosphere, and you'll find so many things will clear up for you. Uh, and it's got to be a biosphere, because that's the definition of the biosphere. That's why we call it biosphere two down there. But this isn't just biosphere one. We're, we're, uh, if we are really, we're being technically evolutionary. This is biosphere seven, because first one, remember, was uh, uh, non-nucleated uh, bugs. The second one was nucleated bugs. And each of these biospheres built, it built soil, it built atmosphere, it built changes, so that the next uh, new biosphere that came in could be a different order of complexity. Okay. Pez, thank you so much for having us here today. Thank you all for being here. Please pick up a card and uh, uh, be in touch with John and his uh, publications, his work. Our websites are over there. Grab a card and catch him on the Atmosphere on uh, Friday. Pez, do you want to wrap up? Well, thank you both for being with us. It's a great honor. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. So, are you now going to remain more aware of our biosphere? I know that I am, uh, particularly now that I'm beginning to think in terms of the entire biosphere and uh, not just local ecosystems. Although I've been aware of the distinction for a long time, uh, well, John's particular focus on that issue has been quite helpful to me. Also, I have to admit to having heard a lot of other conversations about everything that took place during the various phases of Biosphere 2, but John's comments about the time when Columbia University was managing the site were completely new to me. Apparently, uh, the university managed Biosphere 2 for about eight years, uh, ending sometime in 2003. And according to Wikipedia, students from uh, Columbia would sometimes spend an entire semester at the site. Now, I don't think that means they were actually sealed in the site, but uh, rather were just working on it. But my guess is that one of our fellow saloners either was one of those students or knows one of them. And if that happens to be you, I'd love to hear from you and learn more about what, well, I guess we should call the Columbia years of Biosphere 2. Another thing that may be of interest to you is to take a look at the Biosphere 2 site on Google Earth. I just now typed in Biosphere, followed by the number 2, and it took me right there. And if you do that yourself, I think that you're really going to be amazed at the size of the site and the scope of that project. I don't know if there is anything else on that scale being done in the Earth Sciences today. But speaking of scale, uh, <laughs> instead of keeping you any longer, I'm going to spend that time scaling up for my next podcast. So, for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.